Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Well, 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 it's the Not The Top 20 podcast, it's a Monday pod, and it's sponsored by Betfair. We're talking all things EFL, and we've got a good show for you today. A, a small slate due to the international weekend affecting all three leagues now, not just the championship stepping to one side. Ten of League One's 12 games called off, three in League Two as well. But we've got a good chat about the games that did happen, some managerial news, and we've also got an interview with the EFL Young Player of the Month, Max Dean. Uh, he's a, a young man with terrific energy and he was a, a fantastic interview with the MK Dons uh, striker. Uh, a quick thank you to all of you who voted for us in the FSA Awards. I think we've done all we can. You guys have helped us so much and now we see what happens with the awards in just two weeks' time. We're up for uh, Podcast of the Year, can you believe it, in the Football Supporters Association Awards. I'm Ali Maxwell and with me, the weekend birthday boy, George Ellick. Hmm. Hello, mate. He's 32 until he's 33. That's how it works. <laughs> and lovely birthday on Saturday. Thank you. Thank you very much for making the long trip from west to east to have a, a beer with me. Um, amongst other friends, you weren't the only one, which was handy, which was good. <laughs> really, really nice to celebrate your birthday with you and so many friends. It's just nice to get out the office, get out the recording booth and just in, enjoy you as a human as much as a, a colleague. Very wholesome weekend for me. On top of your birthday party, I had my niece's third birthday party. Uh, and then I went to Off Menu Live. I really got the live show bug back. That's what I wanted to tell you this morning. Ooh. And I think we're going to have to do another one. Okay. I love how you've waited till we're recording to make this promise. I'd like to do it probably around the playoffs like last time. That worked well. There'll be a two-year gap between the two live shows. So hopefully we'll get some returning visitors. But also, I want to open this up to the audience because you guys are the, the most important people here. We need people to come and see a NTT20 live show. And hopefully those who came to the one in London will give a pretty good review of it from uh, 2022. But the question is where? Because we've done London and we won't be back in London for a couple of live shows. But there are so many good options for where we could do a live show. And I, and I want to make sure I get it right. So I've gone, as we often do, I've looked at the underlying numbers, mate. The underlying numbers suggest that our listeners, where do they come from? Well, they come from London, first and foremost, uh, and then in order, but with very little between them, Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Dublin, Sheffield. When you say Dublin in the middle of that, so Dublin is is kind of on par with. I mean, I think we definitely go to Dublin then, <laughs> and then and then and then maybe our listenership in Ireland will be Dublin. <laughs> Very nice. We were all Thanks. thinking about that joke. I <laughs> what I want to do is to get a better idea of how likely it is that we will sell tickets in these cities, uh, and I'm going to make an, another request. You've already voted for us in the FSA Awards, but if you'd be interested in coming to watch a live show. Would you tweet us or email us or DM us on Instagram, whichever way you prefer? And all you need to say is, please do a live show in Manchester or please do NTT20 live in Birmingham or Leeds or Dublin or Sheffield. Those are the five options to start with. And I'm going to count the messages. And I reckon whichever city has the most, we'll do that. Perfect. I'm very keen and up for all of them. I think we should do a tour, but, but let's see what people say. Okay, uh, around May 2024, we're making the promise, live show somewhere, somewhere. And it's up to you <laughs> to get it into your city. Uh, George, uh, Oxford United gave you a bit of a birthday present in the form of Des Buckingham. You excited about that? He's your new manager, replacing Liam Manning. I'm very excited. He, Des Buckingham is the new Oxford manager. He is someone who has a long affinity with the club. He was born and raised in Cowley, um, which is in Oxford, Um he came through the youth system at Oxford as a goalkeeper. Um, 
decided to move into coaching at a very young age. I think he was 18 and spent a decade coaching at various levels at the club through the academy and then was eventually part of the first team coaching staff under Chris Wilder uh, before moving on to what is a, an incredible career really in, in terms of coaching, um, both in the New Zealand youth team systems. Uh, he was then assistant manager at Melbourne City, which is part of the City Football Group, <clears throat> when they um, won the A-League. Uh, he had a brief stint as, as a Stoke on the Stoke coaching staff, which I'm not entirely sure what, what kind of happened there um, because it's one glaring, well, it's just very out, out of um, line with the rest of his career. But after the Melbourne City stint, he then became manager for the first time of Mumbai City, where by all accounts, he enjoyed a, a very, very strong couple of years at Mumbai. Um, so in terms of pedigree, it's exciting because, you know, he's he's clearly a very highly regarded coach. He was rumoured to be uh, catching the attention of Celtic in the summer when Ange Postacoglu left. Um, he's been linked to a couple of jobs in England since. I think Lincoln was certainly in for him um, before Oxford came calling. But I think from a fan's point of view, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've watched much Mumbai City. We've also seen loads of exciting coaching credential managers come in and, and struggle in the top job. We've also seen loads of managers who don't really have a particularly uh, impressive coaching career previously come in and do very well as manager. Um, I'm not going to, before we have actually seen him, what he can do, suggest this is a good or a bad appointment. But I think as football fans, we can all agree that having a guy who has a real affinity to the club, you know, his, he says that his nan had a season ticket for 25 years and he used to travel to the manor with her on, on, on the back of her scooter. Like it's stuff like that that I think if you... Any football fan, if you're going to enter into a period of success, it's probably having a fan as your manager that's kind of the dream, isn't it? Um, somebody who you know will um, treat the fans with a certain degree of respect, who you hope would maybe show even an iota um, of loyalty beyond what is normally shown by managers. You know, I don't blame Liam Manning or, or the like for, for taking an opportunity which is going to further their career. Why wouldn't he do that? And always, you know, fan sentiment around loyalty is driven by the fact that fans love the club managers don't so obviously as a fan you're going to feel like more respect should be shown but realistically a manager is, is going to always fend for themselves when you've got someone like Buckingham who's been given his first chance as manager in English football who's now back living at home for the first time in a decade you hope that maybe if someone does come calling after a period of success he might want to stay a little bit longer than what you're used to so in that respect I'm very excited I'm going to his first home game uh, next Tuesday evening um, which you've Bizarrely, Tommy, you don't want to come with me too, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and I cannot wait because I think it's going to be a full house. It's going to be a proper homecoming. I think the atmosphere will be incredible. And in terms of like spectacles, it's second v third at the moment in League One. And it's a massive game. So I, I can't wait for that. But in terms of, is it a good appointment? Who knows? I have absolutely no idea, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to finding out. Quite by chance, genuinely by chance, you, you wrote a piece last week on NTT20.com. An excellent piece as well. Ish by chance. I think. I think a couple of tweets I see from Oxford fans um, may have may have triggered something in my head. <laughs> Ish by chance is, is an amazing new phrase, which I'm going to try and add to my arsenal. Um, <laughs> the piece was, are tried and tested managers overrated? Why EFL clubs are stepping off the managerial merry-go-round and looking to the future? I mean, it's very stark at the moment, isn't it? That we're seeing teams, as they always do in October, obviously not in the case of Oxford, who lost their manager to a, another club, but a lot of teams sacking their manager because they haven't started the season as well as they would like. Uh, they're worried they're not going to achieve their objectives. So they, they spin the wheel, they roll the dice, etc. But where in, in previous seasons, in, in previous decades, it always felt like these in-season appointments in particular would be what we would call like managerial merry-go-round hires, guys with experience, guys with a CV, guys who've maybe got a, a success here or there, a failure here or there, and are generally considered to be the sort of managers who have the experience to step into a team in the middle of the season and hopefully get a, get a better tune out of them. But the last, you know, a large swathe of the appointments so far this season in the EFL have completely gone against that trend and are very much going down a, a different route. You know, Danny Rowell, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, his first managerial job. Um, Matthew Etherington's been appointed by Cole Yu, which we'll talk about uh, later. Stephen Clements at Gillingham, his first senior managerial job. Joe Edwards at Millwall, his first senior managerial job. Michael Skubala of Lincoln City, we're going to talk about him in a second, his first uh, senior managerial job as well. It's it's kind of an interesting one, George, and I wonder what you, what you thought you kind of found out about anything behind the trend. I think firstly, uh, and this is something that 
uh, I think everyone does, not just in football, but in, in a lot of things. Like there's there's such a desire to um, package profiles and almost assume that they have a shared um, like intrinsic value. It's like when um, Liam Manning was being rumoured to be appointed by Bristol City. And I saw a lot of their fans basically being like, well, hold on, we tried this with Dean Holden getting a young guy and it didn't really work. So why are we doing this again? Kind of completely failing to grasp that, that these are two different human beings with different backgrounds and different experiences and different philosophies. And the idea of packaging one experienced manager to another or packaging one inexperienced manager to another just doesn't really make any sense. Like The, the, the fact is a, a manager with no managerial experience at all could share way more traits with someone with a thousand DFL games behind them than they, than they might with someone who shares their lack of experience. So that's one thing to point out. This piece isn't saying <clears throat> there is a wrong way or there is a right way. All it's trying to do is myth bust the idea that you need a promotion on your CV or you need EFL experience. And, and I think the most pertinent example of that is, you know, if you take football since COVID in League One and League Two, where there's, there's clearly been a trend. If you take football in League One and League Two since COVID, where there's clearly been a trend of, of appointing this kind of bright young thing profile, um, four of the eight league champions have been managers taking charge of their first full season in charge of a club. So at the beginning of that season, they'd have been, you know, they'd have never done that before, never done the, the full uh, season experience. Those are Stephen Schumacher um, at Plymouth Argyle, who of course came in halfway through the season before, Mike Duff, who came in halfway through the season before at Cheltenham, um, both of those two in their first management jobs. Rob Edwards, who came in in the summer and, t- and won the league with Forest Green. Um, he had some managerial experience at Telford back in 1718. And then Liam Richardson, who um, had managed Atkinson Stanley briefly for the second half of the season, had managed half a season at Wigan the season before, and then in his first full season won the league. So you've got four managers there, three of which were in their first ever EFL post, two of which were in their first post at all, who've won the title in their first full season in charge. Now that is, I think, to my mind, sufficient enough evidence to say the notion that you need experience or EFL know-how or anything else like that is completely wrong. Then you add to the to the list, you know, there are others who've won promotion. So Ian Evett, for example, after his promotion with Barrow, came in at Bolton and, and, and immediately won promotion. Kieran McKenna in his first season won promotion with Ipswich. Uh, Matt Taylor was his first job, even though it took him a while at Exeter to get, to get the promotion. So Mark Bond is another obvious example who came in halfway through the season before and then in his first full campaign won the league. Like, there are so many examples of this being the case that I just think every, you know, next time you you read or hear someone say, you know, we need someone with that experience, we need someone with that know-how, it's just a bit of a myth, really. Like there are going to be some managers who've never done it before who are going to do well. There are going to be some managers who've never done it before who do badly. It, it's not based within their experience. It's based probably within how good they are at their job, but probably more importantly, the culture and the environment that they're going into, where how good is the squad? How good are the players? What's the environment like? And probably quite a big slice of luck as well. Well, that is the exact scenario in which Michael Skubala joins Lincoln City. Uh, he is a first-time senior manager, but he has over 20 years coaching experience. He is uh, one of the newish breed of career coaches who have treated this like their uh, whole career path from a very, very, very young age. He's got an interesting background. He's been a, a teacher. He uh, worked in the uh, in the FA in the futsal department of the England national team, um, and he has been at Leeds United for a couple of years, where he was with the under twenty threes, under twenty ones rather, uh, and also took a couple of games as interim head coach um, after Jesse Marsh was sacked and, and got a draw at Old Trafford. So he's the new Lincoln City manager. I'm really interested in this because I've, even though I don't know any of them personally, apart from once interviewing Clive Nates. I've put a bit of trust and faith in Lincoln City and the people that run the club to run what was quite a long and lengthy process after sacking Mark Kennedy, but to have landed with the best option for them uh, based on on what they're after. Now, I think it's quite interesting um, that often, George, when a manager gets sacked in the season, if no one's appointed within a week or 10 days, there, there, there becomes a bit of a backlash, which is, well, I just assumed we'd have someone lined up. Like, I assumed we'd have a plan here. Well, why did we sack that guy if we didn't know what we were going to do next? And I kind of see that way of looking at it, but also it's, it's the most important person that you appoint at your club and you can't run a full recruitment process while you still have a manager in place. Of course, it's not ideal to do it during the season, but I actually think 
you know, if you look at any other industry that takes recruitment seriously, these processes are super long and incredibly exhaustive. So it's another way where where football has been sort of unusual up to this point, but is now in some in some aspects of it moving into a, a kind of more in line with big business, big industry. Um, Scubala's got the job, and from what I, I gathered from. Liam Scully's interviews from Michael Scubala's interviews coming in. He is someone who develops players. That's his background. That's his passion. And that's what Lincoln City want and need. You know, it's a great job to walk into. They are four points off the playoffs. Um, in none of his interviews did it sound like he'd been told he needed to make the playoffs. He wasn't even targeting the playoffs necessarily. Um, he's just talking in, in fairly general terms about getting better, progressing, you know, improving players and improving the team. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this. I'm kind of, I think for some reason, I don't particularly know why, more than most appointments where I know literally nothing about the guy, I'm just quite, I'm quite up for this and I have a feeling it, it could be quite a good thing for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think it's a progressive appointment. He's someone who's clearly, I think when you look at a career progression like his, where he doesn't stay long in a job before he's moving upwards and, um, you know, getting hired either within the England youth setup at, at a higher level or, you know, at Leeds obviously kind of progress very quickly there as well. Um, and I've always, you know, for the last 18 months under Mark Kennedy, I've never been particularly enamoured with his playing style, with his coaching style. It felt like because it was so defensive first um there was always going to given that you know Lincoln are never going to have um the attacking players probably to to trump others in the division consistently especially in transition I felt like there was always a bit of a ceiling to it and I know last season they did so well against the the, the top sides but you know it never seemed likely to me that Lincoln were going to be able to progress where they want to go um so yeah I think Scobard is really exciting interesting didn't get off to you know the best start in a very difficult first <laughs> game um but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. As Hugh Davis wrote in the weekend notes this morning, that was a proper welcome to the Football League fixture for Michael Scubala. Stephen Idgeway, Steve Evans and Idgeway with uh, a man in the opposition dugout with over a thousand games under his belt. Uh, and Stevenage won 1-0. George, it was something of a goal mouse scramble following a set-piece situation. Um, I feel like we have seen this exact Stevenage match for about 40 times over the last 18 months, firstly in League Two and now in League One. They are astonishing at what they do and they are very much in the in the promotion picture right now. So yeah, three wins in a row for, for Stevenage now, which, um, yeah, after a, a not a wobble, but a period where they weren't picking up points at the same level they were previously, they lost a couple of games. Um, it felt like maybe they were starting to regress, um, but those three wins in a row, I think, are important. And I think the manner of this win as you say, it's back to the general Steve Evans blueprint for, for them. Um, they didn't create loads, but they were dominant in basically every facet of play. And, and crucially, they were very, very defensively solid. They still created enough chances um, to win the game. Um, you know, the goal itself, yes, was scrappy, but it's no coincidence. I'd say it's never a coincidence, really, when Steven had scored from a set piece. They are very, very proficient from doing so, Whether even if it's not Carl Piagiani heading home from six yards, and instead it's Jamie Reid scrambling home. It's still an area where they are consistently better than the opposition. So, yeah, a, a big win for them. As you say, I think for for, for Lincoln boss, Gabala, it's probably a bit of a baptism of fire um, going to, to Stevenage and playing Steve Evans' side, given how, how well-drilled they are. Um, so, yeah, easier tasks to come. They picked up the most League One points by a promoted side since the Luton team that won back-to-back promotions. Uh, that stat was from last week, so I dare say they might... Uh, be even better than Luton's uh, points tally after this stage of the season. Steve Evans seemingly not a target for Rotherham United, which had been rumoured. Uh, more good news for them because I think we both feel that if there's one club in the pyramid that is most tied to their manager right now, it, it is probably Steve Evans and Stevenage. Um, the elephant in the room is, is the second half of the season. And you know there's no real point uh, banging on about it because A, it hasn't happened yet and B, we don't know that it definitely will happen. But while teams seem to be really at odds with how to stop them doing what they do the first time they play them. Um, the second half of last season in League Two, where they'd come out the blocks flying, they only had the ninth best record in League Two. So they did struggle to sustain it. And you'd think at a higher level that there's no particular reason why it would be different this year. But we shall see. Jamie Reid is flying 11 goals for the season, one off Alfie May. Now, the other game in League One was a 4-0 win for Blackpool against Trewsbury. Um, and I think the, the the name to bring up here is Jake Beasley, or ex-Jeasley, as we used to call him. <laughs> Scored two goals with probably the highest 
XG of any goals in League One this season. I would love to have a a, a close-up to that first one because it looks to me like he completely messes it up and he's fortunate where it rebounds back off the defender into his path again. Like he's, it's, it's one of those where it slid in off the right-hand side and he slides into to poke at home and I think he just mistimes his outstretched leg. <laughs> he's got a lot of um, doubters within the Blackpool fan base. So it is a classic, like sometimes you just need one to go in off your backside. Yeah. Uh, and then the second take was confident, lovely first touch, took it around the keeper, slotted it in. He scored two in midweek as well in the, um, in I think the, the trophy. So I was really pleased from, from a, his point of view because some of the, like, I've got a bit of a bugbear. I understand as a fan checking the team news at two o'clock and I completely understand seeing a team being selected that you wouldn't have selected or you don't understand why they've made certain choices. But I always, I never understand why people pick out an individual player and say like, what the hell? Why would he be playing? He's rubbish. He's terrible. <laughs> He's not good enough. Like what's in it for you to say that? Because you're only ever going to look stupid. Uh, that was the case for, for a handful of um, of Blackpool fans in this one. But, and also, welcome to Blackpool, Carl Joseph, who um, was signed in the summer from Swansea for... I mean, it was, it was a weird one. It was kind of part of the Jerry Yates deal, but there was also a fee attributed to it, I think, of a million pounds. Which well, you have so, to I mean, just... Simon Sadler, the owner, in a statement when he was complaining <coughs> about stick that he was getting, said, yeah. Kyle Joseph, the highest known transfer fee this year in League One. Yeah, but it, feel, it feels like one of those... It's quite a weird fee... In that I, I just I kind of struggle to believe that they'd have spent that money from on a strike from another club if it wasn't the fact that they were getting however many million from Swansea for Yates. But I mean, it's conjecture from my part. Um, but he's you know he's a very good player. He's someone who was a, a a rare ray of light last season for Oxford, and he showed his quality here with one brilliant finish, a really you know well taken goal, touch on the right, gets out of his feet, and then smashes it into the roof of the net. And then a really nice assist as well for, for BZ second, picking up the ball kind of from deep and, and threading a pass through the middle for, for BZ to run onto and finish. So, um, you know, he's he's had some really bad injury issues since he came to the club. I think that was his only second league appearance, both off the bench. The first one was only kind of five minutes. Um, but they've got loads of attacking options now. And, and I, you know, when you look at their team from from Saturday and you see they've got playing two up front with BZ and Rhodes and then... Um, with Kerry and Dembele kind of playing either side of Dougal with Dale and Hamilton providing the width. Like there's a lot of attacking players on that in that side, which isn't necessarily what we'd expect from an, a Neil Critchley team. So um yeah, I'm excited by Blackpool at the moment. For for Shrewsbury, it still feels like every point they pick up is important in terms of just keeping themselves above that relegation zone because we still see so many games. How are they sixteenth? I know. How well, they, they've, they've, they've won like six goals games at home by a solitary goal. So, you know, they, they get over the line when they need to. Is it sustainable? Probably not. Um, you know, they have that massive win against Reading um, where they were 2 0 down and 1 3 2 last time out. But yeah, I mean, I think Shrews at their worst are maybe the worst team in the league. But, you know, yeah. they, 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 have a, they have an ability or they have some kind of fortitude at home that, that sees them for whatever reason, able to, to get over the line. So that is in itself, you know, if, if you can win your, your home games as, you know, the uh, the cliche goes, then you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just not having it really. I think that I think that it's going to catch up with them there. I mean, if you count Wigan as a top half team, they are not in the top half, but their points return would have them there had they not got the deduction. If you count them as one of the 12 best teams in the division so far, then Shrews have played... 10 games against top half teams and they've scored one goal and it was in the 1-0 win against Derby. They've lost seven out of nine away games to nil. They've only scored two away goals in nine away games. Um, I just don't, I, I, I don't see almost any positives other than the points return that they already have, which is kind of an interesting place to be because it might be something that buys their manager time. Or it might be that the club look at it another way and think, well, this isn't good enough. We're fortunate to have the points that we have. And, you know, we need to to try and make a change before we, we slide down the table. Or they may disagree and, and maybe they think their team is good. I, I mean, maybe. Um, as for Blackpool, Pompey away next weekend and then 11 games in a row where they don't play any of the current top eight. So... That is an astonishingly long stretch of, of of winnable games for them. So let's let's not be that surprised if in two months we're like, whoa, Blackpool are on a good run. They're in third now. Um, but if they are serious about automatic promotion or top six, they, they are going to want a strong points return there. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. In League 2, they're still going. They are still going. Stockport County 2, Colchester United win 12 League Colchester wins. United win. They didn't win. <laughs> Colchester United nil. I'm too excited about this. I'm too excited. <laughs> As you know from last you week. You say the I, word Stockport County and you just have to say the word win over and hate. over again. It, this should be national sporting news. It's the first. It's the Football League's joint longest winning streak if since we, 1992. If we win the FSA award, I think you're going to get up on stage and just start saying, this is for Stockport. The most underappreciated story in the history of football. I will. Yeah, they'll be on 14 wins in a row if if they've won uh, by the time we're at the FSA Awards. They've beaten Wimbledon. They've beaten MK Dons, Wrexham, Accrington, Forest Green, Doncaster, Harrogate, Grimsby, Crewe, Tranmere, Swindon and Colchester. No dropped points in that time. Uh, George, no team has won 12 in a row since Luton in 01-02, right? So I reckon... And the maths might be a bit dodgy here. I reckon that's 1,440 EFL teams that have participated in league action since Luton did it. And none of them until now have won 12 in a row. I mean, talk to me about the sort of the anatomy of this Stockport team. Why? Why so good? Well, I mean, I think part of it is is that, you know, you've got a rare example probably of a, a in a league where four teams um, go up you can be pretty certain that the best team in the league will be one of those. And I think last season that didn't happen where I think Stockport probably were the best team in the league in terms of their general performance levels. They were unable to do what they're doing now and see teams off very comfortably and they ended up in the playoff final, putting in a very weirdly poor display, although they've still nearly, you know, got, got promoted and therefore they stayed in league two. They've got a very wealthy local owner and he reinvested again and brought in more good players, um, retained the faith in, in Chaliner and therefore the best team from last season in league two got even better. And now they're the best team in, in league two by, by some stretch, even though I think Mansfield this season probably would have been the best team in league two last season alongside Stockport as well. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible what they're doing. You know, as we said, Louis Barry comes out it's just no problem. Really Carl Wicken comes in, scores three and three in the league. Um, this wasn't by any stretch their best performance, but in that run of, of wins, there's only one game where they scored a solitary goal. So they're scoring basically two or more goals in every game. They're defensively incredibly sound, whether it's Wooten, Olafe, like there's Bailey, whoever it is, Camps, <laughs> um, Collar, like there's just so much attacking threat that they possess and they just don't really concede very many goals or very many chances. You know, they are one of the big data outliers in the league in terms of overperforming their XG but they, they they don't need to like that is just it's it's the it's the icing on the cake rather than the cake itself um i think this is pretty sustainable i you know i've said a lot that i think pompey are going to go on a bad run i think oxford are going to go on a bad run i think leicester are going to go on a bad run i don't really think stockport will like i don't think they're going to win every game this season but i think they're going to rack up a massive points tally mm. yeah league 2 is the the top teams in league 2 normally pick up fewer points than the top teams in league 1 and the championship that's a kind of feature of the I guess the the spread of competitiveness and the and the until this season at least the the smaller gap between the haves and the have-nots in terms of budgets, but it does feel like Stockport could be could be running away with it. And Colchester have have appointed Matthew Etherington as their head coach. He was the interim manager, and as the club said in their statement, Matty has had a good response from the players, and his league points return has been excellent as interim head coach. Now. There's a part of me that worries about uh, appointing the interim. Uh, does it make me think that Colchester United have gone through a particularly rigorous process here to appoint a new manager? It doesn't make me think that. It doesn't mean it, it hasn't happened. That's just my perception, my guess. Um, of course, it's a, a real positive that he's had, a, in their words, a good response from the players. And clearly having the, the knowledge that the players uh, like him and want to work for him is, is a, a good starting point. You know, looking at a league points return uh, in an interim spell as a strong reason for appointing someone full time uh, slightly concerns me. But uh, that's what Cole, you have done. And Etherington takes charge of pretty much the youngest team in the league. Uh, lots of exciting young talents there. But clearly as a, as a team, 
tasked with picking up wins and points. They haven't been particularly good this season. So there's a, a balance to be found here between you know, making sure that the, the talented young players are getting the minutes and the development that they need, while also uh, keeping the ship sailing straight because Colchester can't really afford a, an extended poor run of form. They are not that far above the relegation zone and uh, Etherington will need to maintain uh, the form that he has started with in interim charge. I take back what I said about Stockport running away with it because Mansfield is sensational as well. They beat Newport 2-0. They've won five in a row. They are unbeaten this season. Nine wins, eight draws, zero defeats. Um, similar to Stockport, I'd say this wasn't an easy win for them, but it wasn't that hard either. Um, Davis Keelor had done scoring, <laughs> uh, scoring two goals, both good takes. He had a couple more chances as well. He had you know, so many chances. Yeah, well, <laughs> he he always does, I mean, his the, the the volume of shots that he takes is an absolute joke, and of course, a lot of them are are pot shots. But he he has consistently for two or three years shown that particularly League Two-ish level against League Two goalkeepers, you know, he is a, a, a really, really good shooter and therefore racks up the goals. Um, so Mansfield winning pretty comfortably. Um, Notts County as well, George, this one live on Sky. 4-2 win at home to Bradford. It was 4-0 at half time. Uh, not ideal for Graham Alexander's first away game. Um, Notts cruising. And then Bradford came back into it, got two goals back. Luke Williams was furious at full time I dare say Graham Alexander was as well so uh, quite quite an interesting game to have been live on Sky yeah I mean Notts County putting uh, the Mansfield game right where they were on the receiving end of four and it kind of felt at half time like they might you know really run riot um, but Alexander made some changes at half time and they worked I, I kind of came away thinking for the second game in a row under Alexander's reign you know they've lost both of them but I think Bradford are looking far more potent from an attacking sense they got into so many dangerous dangerous positions in the second half it was in my mind, a game where even though the XG for both teams is quite high, they don't really tell the full story because the threat that Bradford showed, the amount of balls into the box, um, I thought they looked more dangerous in the second half than maybe the shots tally would suggest. So, yeah, I mean, it was it's obviously much easier to come back in the game where you're 4-0 down um, and, and probably the game is, is fairly safe from a, from a home perspective. Uh, Notts County, obviously, in the first half did incredibly well. Dan Crowley is just looking so good. Um, you know, to to lose Ruben, Ruben Rodriguez, who's now looking like he was basically a top League One player playing in the, the, the National League last season, and to replace him fairly seamlessly with a player who offers that creativity, offers that goal scoring threat. Like they're not easy to find those kind of players. Um, so really, really impressed um, with him. His finish for the fourth was just—I loved it so much. I went back and watched it about seven times. I just love when players show that kind of poise where they can um, stand up. The defender drag the ball back and then put a pinpoint finish from kind of a standing standing still. Um, he was the, the star for me, although Didzy played well. And Macaulay Langstaff with two goals, one a nice second finish, the other one I'm not sure he had any idea about. Um, but he's a goalsman and that's what they do. John Bostock, we frustrated that he wasn't credited the goal. Yeah, Langstaff has an amazing life in this Knotts team, doesn't he? I mean, they they dominate the ball, they dominate possession and... In an ideal world, Langstaff won't touch it until the, the very last moment. Uh, I think he had 23 total touches in the game, which given the amount of ball that they have is is pretty amazing. I didn't think Bradford's setup was very smart here. I kind of, I don't hate the fact that a new manager might play a sort of ambitious approach and ask a lot of his players and, and try and instill in them the confidence to to take on the league's best teams, to try and build confidence within them. But it was just... Well, it was just silly. Um, you know, they they started with a four four two, just really trying to deny short passing through central areas into um, Knotts's midfield uh, defensive midfield too, which was which was just you know fine. Send the ball wide to the wing backs. That's a that's an understandable approach. But Crowley and McGoldrick would just drift wide and get close to the wing backs and then get on the ball because Smallwood and Gilead weren't keen to go out there. And, and once the ball had been played through the, the front two and the wide players that there wasn't really anyone to pick those players up and they've got such quality that that really made the difference. Uh, Hugh described Crowley and McGoldrick as uh, County's two ventricles on the uh, weekend notes, which I really liked and is uh, another reason why you should be a subscriber of uh, NTT20.com. Barrow won Crawley nil. George Barrow, keep on rolling. Three wins in a row, four wins in five now. They've still got two home games in credit, as I'm calling it, because they played 10 away and eight at home. And we spoke about them a bit last week and you had your say. I mean, they are 
well coached and that has almost always been the case since Pete Wilde has been in charge but it seems to me like he's got a few more tools to work with this season not just up top where you've got Aqua who's made a good impact but also Dom Telford uh, joined towards the end of the window uh, has he's just starting to warm up now three goals in his last four games this one against the club that was so keen to ship him off um Crawley Town, who signed him to, to much fanfare, of course, in the very loud, early Wagme United days. Um, they signed him because he was the top scorer in the league and they wanted to make a splash. Um, but they never built a team that suited him. And there's no point signing players if you don't understand how to get the best out of them. And then shipped him off in August to Barrow, who are very much enjoying George having Dom Telford up front and a foil in Aqua, uh, crucially, to, I think, bring the best out of him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, no no muted celebration from Dom in this one, uh, and understandably so. But again, they took on a side in Crawley who've shown some real um, attacking uh, potency this season, and they basically shut them down. And that is what Pete Wilsborough is so good at doing. And, and I spoke earlier about Lincoln and, and wondering where their ceiling was because of that side of play. But this season, it doesn't really feel like they lose anything in terms of their own attacking threat. Like They're never going to be a free-scoring attacking side, but certainly they've got the players you mentioned there and consistently in games are creating enough opportunities to, to get on the score sheet themselves. Um, they are a real force to be reckoned with, I think. Um, I, I definitely don't think they're as good as the big four. Um, but, I, you know, there, there's going to be a few spaces up for grabs in terms of a playoff berth. I think, you know, it's, it's speculation at this point, but there's, there's rumours around, you know, for example, Derek Adams and Morecambe at the moment. And there's a couple of other teams up towards the top end who I, I'm not entirely sure how sustainable their form is, but with Barrow, it feels like they are a team who who could absolutely cement their their spot as a as a top seven seed, top seven team. Because I I just I can't see any reason why their good defensive record will will change unless they suffer big injuries. Um, this is what we saw on Saturday was is what we're going to see. What we already have seen a lot this season. What we're going to see a lot more of Barrow winning to nil at home. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they they did have their goalkeeper, Paul Farman, to thank just as much as Dom Telford. He made two cracking saves in that game. Uh, how about Stephen Clements, his first win as Gillingham manager? He, he said afterwards something along the lines of, you know, I told the players we can't just win 1-0 all the time. You know, they, they really are making a big play of like shedding the defensive grinders mentality skin and trying to take on a, a new skin. And it's it's going to be really interesting to watch. They beat Salford 3-1. George, it, it struck me that it was fairly even game in terms of both teams having some some chances and opportunities and spells. So good finishing, really, the difference. Uh, Connor Mahoney with a, a really nice one to put them ahead. Matt Smith with one of my favourite ever Matt Smith goals um, uh, to equalise. And then Tom Nichols uh, with a rare header of his own and Dom Jeffries scored it. As for Salford, Vassell, uh, Namai and Smith on a couple of other occasions failed to convert decent chances but it's the it's the first league win for for Clements as a manager and quite an, an interesting aspect of new managers for me George is um checking out their uh, fist pump style you know how post match now if you've won particularly for social media purposes it's really helpful if you give a good couple of fist pumps to the adoring crowd um i think you could do a whole analysis really on EFL managers post win fist pumps and Lord knows Pete Wilde, who we've just spoken about, is a, a, a serious purveyor of this. Uh, Clements, yeah, go, go to the Jills. Go to the Jills Twitter account and have a look at, at Clements's. It's, his fist bumps, I think, um, really quite playful compared to some that I've seen. Uh, <laughs> the playful pump. <laughs> yeah, the playful pump. Uh, but a, a great win for Jills um, and and gives them something to work with going forward. Uh, a really good win for Accrington Stanley, George. They beat Wrexham 2-0. Yeah, really big win. There was some quite weird pre-game um, politics going on between Accrington and Wrexham um, where, yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out Wrexham um, obviously bringing more fans than most. Accrington brought the ticket prices up seemingly because more fans means more police and therefore means more money having to be spent on on the, the game day itself, which triggered Wrexham um, putting out a statement saying that when they have the re- reverse game, they'll bring ticket prices lower a fiver in order to welcome Accrington fans to the game. You know, it feels like maybe Wrexham um, are coming at this from a position of privilege that not all League Two owners can enjoy. Um, but either way, it definitely creates I'm pretty some sure need. their average ticket price is about five pounds higher than Accrington's average ticket yeah. price as well. I've never, I hate people that ever talk about virtue signaling in any context. And for the first time here, I was like, hmm, interesting. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there was a bit of needle to this game for that reason. I think for Andy Holt, um, 
I think who probably enjoys a glass of red after any game, whether a win or a defeat, probably really enjoyed his glass of red after this one um, because they beat Wrexham 2-0. Um, the first was a, a penalty um, that looked pretty harsh. I mean, there, there were kind of two incidents, both of which, I'd say neither of which really looked like penalties. I, can't, I don't know which one it was given for, um, a bit of grappling in the box, but nothing too severe. Um, but yeah, they got the penalty out of that, which was stuck away by uh, by Lee. And then they scored shortly afterwards to make it 2-0. Um, one of the most satisfying penalty misses of all time from Paul Mullen very late in the game where he just absolutely smashed the ball straight against the crossbar. It's the kind of thing where if I was playing crossbar challenge, I'd try and do that just to kind of um, look cool. Um, but he managed it. As long as you and, weren't having to go and collect the balls around the back of the goal. Correct. Um, which I don't think he'd have had to do. That would have been bizarre. Um yeah, but would have made a difference anyway. It was, it was in the hundredth minute. But you know, Accrington are one of these teams who at the moment are trying to prove that they are um, in that kind of clutch of, of teams below the top four who are capable of of kind of solidifying this form. And uh, wins like this um, will certainly give them hope they can do. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't undeserved. You know, they they did what a lot of teams have struggled to do to Wrexham and kept them at bay. Although you know, I've said it before, but the the Wrexham um, home and away stuff is so weird. Like if you if you look at their scores at home, you look at their scores away. It's like it's two different teams. Like you take out the um, the five nil defeat at Stockport, all of their of their other nine or eight away games, eight away games, not a single one has had over two goals, and yet every single home game apart from one has. So I don't know what's going on. And the bottom four all played against each other. Uh, Draws. So, yeah, Forest Green drew two all with Grimsby. As far as I can tell, this one was broadly dictated by the wind and the strength of the wind because in the first half Forest Green had it and scored two and in the second half Grimsby had it and scored two um Carl McAllister had a good game for Forest Green and scored a, a lovely little lifter the second goal um and I think Donovan Wilson had a good impact off the bench for Grimsby same with Camel Conte who came on for Kieran Green at half time Green having made a, a pretty bad error in possession in the build up to one of Forest Green's goals uh, and Sutton uh, rescued a point set piece goal smashed in by John um, after Tranmere had taken the lead and possibly looked the stronger side for, for bits of that game, which is somewhat of a concern for Sutton, who really needs to win their home games. Um, George, just quickly appraise that bottom four for me at the moment. I mean, Newport are only one point above Grimsby. Grimsby four points above Tranmere and Forest Green, who are in turn two above Sutton United. I know, you know, we got strong feelings about Harrogate Town, who got a one-all draw against Swindon from behind. Um, yeah, what do you make at the moment of... The, the bottom three or four or five in, in League Two? Well, I, I think if you package Harrogate into that, firstly, it was probably their best display of the season so far. Like they, they exposed Swindon's high line consistently. Odo looked really, really dangerous as, as we know he can do. And that felt to me like a, a big positive step forward in terms of their season, even if they weren't able to get over the line. Um, of the bottom four, I mean, it, it kind of feels to me like all of them are, are getting their act together a little bit, like Tranmere um, under Adkins showing some signs of life. Certainly Sutton's form is, is obviously much improved, hence their, the, the gap between them and the rest is starting to shrink. And it was a really important equaliser for them to to kind of get something from that game. Otherwise, they would have been detached again. Um, Forest Green are the ones where like, you keep kind of seeing signs of life and, and think they're going to uh, kick on, but then... And to squander a 2-0 lead at home against Grimsby, wind or, or no wind, is, is not a, a particularly uh, you know, clever thing to do. I think showing a, a side pretty low in confidence, you'd expect with the amount of experience in the, in the, in the squad and in the team, they wouldn't have such a soft centre and there'll be frustration from their part that they weren't able to. And then with Grimsby, I think it's just, you know, the managerial appointment's going to be very important. And in the meantime, um, the caretakers are doing a pretty good job of, of just tidying things over and it was important for them to, to come back and, and get the point there. Um, I, th- I still think that the League 2 relegation picture is, is incredibly open because um, it, it just feels to me like the, all of those sides we've just discussed at the bottom end are very, very capable of going on a run. Like they're, they're, I, I don't think there's a massive gap between them and the team's above them like I think the likes of you know looking at that clutch of teams all the way up to Harrogate so whether it's Walsall Colchester uh, Newport like they're, they're all very much in danger and I mentioned a second ago about the um, you know the, the, the Derek Adams rumour which may or may not be true about his his Ross County trying to take him back like that would make me concerned for, for Morecambe even who've got 27 points at the moment and, and obviously you've had aspirations to get in the playoffs this season but if you lose a, a manager who's so ingrained in um, the the recent success of a team, then you know it, it doesn't take too bad a run to to bring you back into it. So 
uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if League Two, I, I'm not saying I think it will, I, I don't necessarily think those teams at the bottom are going to improve, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if the bottom of League Two looks very, very different from the end of the season compared to now. Well, that was the 11 games that we had in the EFL over the weekend. I hope you've enjoyed the, the breakdown thereof. And now it's time for an interview. We're really enjoying interviewing the EFL Young Player of the Month this season. Um, we've spoken to a couple of them now, John Rowe, Louis Barry. Uh, now it's time for MK Dons's Max Dean. I had a fantastic time chatting to him, getting to know him uh, a couple of days ago. And I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, Max Dean the EFL Young Player of the Month for October. Max, how does that feel? Yeah, you know, it's an uh, unbelievable achievement to win. I couldn't have done it without my teammates, you know, they're, they're the ones giving me the chances to score my goals and that. And uh, obviously the fans have been behind us all man away throughout the season, but this month as well, what we're talking about. So couldn't have really done it without the ones I've mentioned. Before October... You'd made one senior league start in your career, and now you're the EFL Young Player of the Month. Uh, other players in your position uh, that have won this award before include the likes of Danny Ings, Patrick Bamford, Ollie Watkins, Tammy Abraham, Brennan Johnson as well. How does it feel to be in that company? Yeah, you know, there's some really top names there. Prem standards, um, scoring goals in the Prem. So if I'd have half the career of any of them players, I'd be made up because they're really, really good strikers. Let's talk through your, your four league goals in October. Two against Barrow, one against Bradford and one against Swindon. Uh, talk me through the chances that you're getting and the finishes that you put together in, in October. Yeah, you know, all four goals were in and around the box, really. So it was just about being right place, right time. Obviously, there's no better feeling scoring a goal. I think anybody will tell you that it's the best feeling ever. But yeah, the Barrow first one took a few deflections, but still my goal at the end of the day, no one remembers that. And then the second one was just being alert and heading it in. So I had that confidence going in. We played Aki after that, didn't get a goal, but it was a decent performance. And then went into the Bradford game. I hit the keeper, made an unbelievable save onto the bar, hit the post, and then finally got my goal. And then the Swindon one was just about time to run, getting on the end. So all, all the goals felt the exact same. It's the best feeling ever. Obviously, you've been playing football as an academy player for for a good few years now but what's it like to score in front of so many fans to celebrate at senior goals as a as a pro in front of fans it's unbelievable like obviously you score goals in the academy and there's not many people watching so you can't get that feeling but when when you know you're making yourself as happy as somebody else honestly it's you see the faces when you look into the crowd it's unbelievable just gives you that that nice buzz it's unbelievable it's it's what we all have dreamt about our whole lives, Max. You're living it now. Um, look, it was a huge month for you, also a significant one for the team and, and for the club with a, a change of manager. Um, what was the impact on you with Graham Alexander departing the club, Mike Williamson coming in, all while you are having to focus on performing for the team, a, a, a big experience at a young age? You know, you never like seeing anybody lose the job in football, but it's part of football and it happens to a lot of people. So it's just about adapting as soon as the new gaffer came in. Yeah, sat down with him because we didn't have long before the first game. We had two days before Rackinson. Uh So played that game and then sat down with him the week after. And we just talked about going through my clips and how I can help the team and how to like understand the position fully. So he gave me that confidence going into the uh, into the next game that I'd understood the role as much as I could for how long he's been in. What is Mike Williamson's style of management as far as you've uh, sort of experienced it so far? It sounds like from what you've said there, he's, he's very hands-on in terms of analysing your game and, and trying to develop you as a player, obviously with the goal of making the team better overall. Yeah, that that's exactly it. He's, uh, he's very precise. We have to get things, the detail has to be there. Well, that's what he expects, otherwise you won't play. So we all understand that in training. Uh, he expects... Doesn't mind off the pitch having a laugh, but as soon as we're on training, it's hundred percent effort. Uh, so, yeah, as you say, we go through a lot of clips. A lot of players do it, and it uh, gives us that that understanding as much as we can for whoever's coming next. And there's a lot talked about the way that uh, managers, head coaches uh, motivate their players one to one, but also when they talk about them publicly. And uh, after your good performances, the manager has spoken about you in post match interviews. He's been very complimentary about not just your goals and, and 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 how you play and your movement but also your personality uh, that he really likes both on the pitch and off the pitch what is it how does that feel for you to have those things said publicly about you by the manager who you're trying to impress 
that's it in it. I'm always trying to impress them, so it's lovely that I hear them kind words from them. So we'll just have to keep it going now and hopefully the kind words stay. It's a bit of a smile on his face when he spoke about your character off the field. Are you uh, are you quite a big character despite being one of the youngest in the squad? Are you are you the joker of the training ground? Yeah, you could say that. Like, I like <laughs> to speak to a lot of people. Like, I like to get about and learn about different people's lives and different stories. So, but I'm not joking there as well, yeah. Love that. Uh, are you enjoying the style of play? Mike Williamson was Gates' head manager and, and re- receiving a lot of plaudits and attention before he moved to MK Dons for the way that his Gates' head side play. I've watched uh, some of his early games at MK and it's very clear that the the same principles are, uh, you know, he's, he's very clear on the way that he wants the team to play. And it is the sort of football that's considered very aesthetically pleasing and, and you know, with the potential to really raise the, the level of the team and individual players within it. Yeah, 100% that. He said we need to trust in each other a lot and I feel like we're doing that because as soon as we start putting the trust, you'll start seeing the patterns and the things we work on every day come out and if we get goals from that, obviously it's always nice scoring a goal but when you've worked on something, it's just that little bit more you like, yeah, you can see all the hard work and training's paying off. And even in the game on Saturday, you had a, a great shot, really well saved as well. So even in the in the games where you haven't been scoring and the team obviously drawing a blank, but I guess the belief is there that you are literally seeing already uh, how this style of play and, and the trust that you're, you're learning to put into each other will lead to goal-scoring opportunities in particular. Yeah, we had quite a few chances on Saturday. I mean, the keeper, would, don't know his name, but he played unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I got out on that to him, he was unbelievable on the day. But yeah, we, we dominated the ball, especially second half. That's where we've probably been lacking, second half a little bit slow, but we dominated mentally drained them and it was just that on another day we win one one nil or four nil. It was just one of them days. But you know, it's a tough place to go. The uh, fans get right on your back at Newport, so it's a good ground to go to and therefore mm-hmm. take a point like Max, uh, there's there's a lot of different types of striker. There's a lot of different roles within the position at the top end of the pitch and, and that's where you're playing at the moment for uh, MK Dons. What specifically is Mike Williamson asking of you in terms of uh, the role that he wants you to play, what he wants you to focus on? He gives me a licence to uh, run in behind or come to feet but obviously he wants me to stretch the back line as much as I can so that's my job and then at the end of the day put the ball on the goal. That's the that's the main thing as a striker in it but yeah, he gives me the licence to do both but try and stay away as much as I can and get involved when the ball's a little bit higher up the pitch. And do you think that, is that how you'd sum up your strengths as a player? You know, uh, the listeners of the pod are always keen to hear about young players and it's nice to hear people explain what they think their their strengths are in their own words. So how, how would you describe Max Dean as a footballer? First of all, hard work. That's before anything. That's got to come. Uh, if you don't leave everything out there, there's no point even stepping out on the pitch. That's the first. And then scoring goals, I'd like to say, that's me. That's what I want to be known as, the one that scores goals. Uh, but also link up play and running in behind, I'd say. They're the three things I'd like to be known as when I finish. Like. We've spoken on the podcast in the last few weeks when we've talked about MK, when we've talked about the new manager, that one of the trends from his time as manager of Gateshead was just how many goals his number nines scored. So Macaulay Langstaff initially, who's now with Notts County, Kedwin Scott as well uh, at Notts County, and the current Gateshead number nine, Marcus Dinanga, uh, always scoring at a really high rate. You've obviously started very well. Uh, that must all just lead to, to so much confidence, both in, in yourself, but also knowing that you've got a manager in charge who has an incredible track record of um, creating teams that put chances on a plate for players like you. That's it. Like if, That's the dream, isn't it? If you get... Uh, your teammates putting on a play for you as a striker that's what you live for goals in it so knowing that the gaffers work with players like that top strikers uh, and he's made them even better then hopefully same with me and I say there's lots of different roles of a number nine I mean it sounds from what you said and you know looking at the the types of goals that you've scored and that those previous strikers scored with Gateshead uh, is there that sense of uh, trying to learn when actually you don't need to be involved with the play on the ball, trusting your teammates to do the build-up, trusting the, the wing-backs, let's say, to, to be getting uh, into good positions on the right and, and really just focusing on that final action and, and almost conserving your energy to make sure when the ball's in, in the box that you're the man to put it in. That's exactly it, yeah. That's what he says a lot, conserve your energy when it's not needed um, and then come alive when it's time around the box and be in the right position, so... I did again where I said we had to trust each other on the ball as well trust each other that they're going to make the runs and stuff like that and I feel like that's worked recently uh, putting the trust in each other and really paying off it's Gary Lineker I think who always talks about 
you know, someone like him was known for being in the right place at the right time to score tap-ins. But, you know, he always talks about the 10 runs that he made in the in the five previous minutes that pulled defenders out of position. And maybe he didn't end up with a tap-in that time. But uh, when he does, it, it looks like it's so easy for him. But the amount of work that goes into it is what leads to it. Exactly, that's it. You know, Gary Lineker, what a career he had. So, yeah, there's some, some bits of the strike here you don't really see where got to maybe move the defender only a yard where people might think it's nothing but like it's that yard that you need only a yard in the box don't you so uh, it's the little things that maybe people don't see and then ends up in a goal for you or your teammate and what's your self-motivation style are you setting targets for yourself in terms of goals you know you had to wait a couple of months um, for this level of, of kind of minutes and starts but now you're, you're starting and scoring goals do you have a number in your head no, I don't normally have a number. I normally uh, take each game as it, each game as it comes. To hopefully, try and score as many in that game because as soon as you start looking past the next one, then you, you don't probably think it's as important. So I just focus on the next one. It'll be Northampton in the cup or Salford in the league. So uh, that's all I'm focused on. How many can I score against them? Uh, and MK are thirteenth in the table as we speak. Do you have any sense of what the team's ambitions are or anything that's been discussed within the dressing room or the manager that you could share with us, what the goals are, what the target is? You know, it, through the highs and the lows, we, we've always said we're, we're only looking up. So we'll only look what's above us. We won't look what's behind us. So we'll just take each game as it comes, try and build the table, uh, whether that's slow or fast, because it, it's about what happens on the 46th game. That's the most important thing. So we'll just keep taking each, each day as it comes. Just lastly, it'd be great to, to learn a bit more about yourself. I was pleased to hear that, you know, your character and personality, as you explained it, was on the training ground. You want to get to know people. You want to hear about their backgrounds. Well, that's perfect for us. That's what we're all about on the podcast as well, both in terms of on pitch, but also uh, players as, as human beings as well. So, Max, you came from the Leeds Academy. What is your kind of youth career background? So I got in, obviously played Saturday League when I was like a baby and then signed for Everton when I was five. I did uh, 10, 11 years at Everton, didn't get offered a scholarship, then went to Leeds, what was probably a really good move for me. Uh, obviously, did 11 years at Everton, so it was supposed to change and different style. And then, obviously, I had Mark Jackson and Marcelo Bielsa there who did so much for me, uh, understanding different different styles of football where I've been used to being with my own age. They were pushing me to play under-23s football from 16, 17. So thanks to them too, I got got in and around the first team every single day. So I already had that maybe advantage on people my age who weren't. So, uh, yeah, did two two and a half years there and obviously signed here in January, last January. Was oh, it true that when Bielsa was Leeds manager, the, the under-23s team, the PL2 side, you know, were maybe more so than any other team, drilled to play in, in the exact way that Marcelo Bielsa wanted his senior team to play? And if so, what what is that like as a 16-year-old? Yeah, it's um, unbelievable. We had the exact same as the first team. So every every detail, we train with them every single day. We were in and around them, had lunch together, and that's us. Obviously, it's basically one big team until match day, and we'd go into our separate places. But even the first team lads were so great because they knew we were doing all the murder balls, not with them, it was hard work. But yeah, he's an absolute genius. BL City, he, um, he has us drilled down to a T, and he's, yeah, unbelievable coach. That must have been absolutely insane. Those sessions are the stuff of legend, aren't they? Like, uh, are you able to to cope with that physically? Was that quite good for your own confidence to be like, yeah, actually, my my like physical attributes here, my energy, my work rate, this this is befitting of a Marcelo Bielsa team, which will stand me in good stead for a senior career. Yeah, well, I was, as a kid, I was always like one of the smaller, so when I couldn't really get around the pitch much, and then obviously COVID it, and obviously I was meant to go to Leeds, but then that got delayed, so. I just got myself in really good shape in, in COVID, made sure I was the fittest when I was going back, and I was, and that's what caused us at the fir at first, uh, me, running stat me running stats in training and stuff like that in the pre-season, so then gave me the chance, and then obviously still a little bit off the first team because some of the players were quality we had there, but you know, just being around them, I'm looking back and it's helped me so much. I like the idea of Mr Bielsa checking your Strava 
to to work out what your runs were like during lockdown. I mean, you probably had a more technical equipment than that feeding back to the club, but that's that's what the rest of us were doing, spending our lives doing 5Ks and looking at everyone else's on Strava. Uh, Max, thanks very much for your time. Last question I'm really interested to know is uh, a lot of players, uh, your sort of peers or, or people of your age group, your age, made choose to stay a little longer um, at what was a Premier League club at the time at Leeds United, but you moved initially to MK in, in January. What was behind the decision for you to leave for, for League One at the time when, yeah, as I say, I think a lot of your peers might have uh, stuck it out at Leeds? Yeah, you know, uh, Mark, Jack, uh, Mark Jackson came here, who obviously I had at Leeds, so uh, he phoned me mid-January. He was like, do you want to come down? I was like, 100%, work with him again. You know, he did so much for me. When I was 15, 16, that I 100% wanted to play for him again. Obviously, it didn't work out, so we wanted it to. But that was the reason to come with him. And then fell in love with the club straight away. The fans, the players, everything about the club's brilliant. So loving every minute. Well, we've been loving watching you in October. Uh, performances of such quality that you're the EFL's Young Player of the Month for October. Uh, and no doubt you have a lot of new fans as well after this interview from Not The Top 20 podcast. So thank you very much for your time, Max. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. Go well. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.